Welcome to Behind the Brand. This series is for you if you're interested in taking a deeper look at the appliance brands you're considering and appliances in general. So we asked industry leaders about their latest advancement and what's next for your kitchen. You also find out firsthand about the current supply chain problems and a realistic timeline to ordering appliances. What's really fascinating is the origin story behind some of these brands. They're remarkable tales about entrepreneurs who built freezers out of scrap or created cooking products when people were used to cooking over an open flame. So what you're about to watch will show you how to make educated appliance buying decisions and as a bonus, a glimpse of the technological advancements that are on the horizon, as well as how to plan ahead for your next project. Fisher Paykel is a company based out of New Zealand, but has been popular in the U.S. with its unique style and products like their double drawer dishwasher. In today's episode, we speak with Kevin Dexter, President and COO of Fisher Paykel. Before he worked at Fisher Paykel, he was the COO of Hire and involved in one of the biggest transactions ever in our history. It's interesting and somewhat ironic at the same time as you'll find out. So let's jump in. Hello, I'm here talking with uh, Kevin Dexter. President and CEO of Fisher Paykel. Kevin's a graduate of the University of Iowa, go Hawkeyes. He's held many senior positions in almost every appliance company in the world, from Electrolux to Samsung to Hire. We're going to talk a lot about Fisher Paykel. It's a truly unique company for the people that don't know it. But we're also going to talk about your involvement in one of the biggest and most surprising mergers in our, in our industry. But first, how'd you get into the appliance business? Yeah. Hey, Steve. Thanks for uh, thanks for having the conversation today. Thanks for having. Thanks for being here. Really, Kevin. This is an honor for us. Yeah. So, um, like many in the appliance industry would tell you, I didn't intentionally uh, enter the appliance industry thinking I'm going to make a career out of it. I actually grew up on a dairy farm in Iowa, in the middle of the flyover states, and. Uh, Maytag was a viable company at that time, still independently owned the heritage in Iowa, and they were heavy recruiters out of the, the Iowa schools. And so I got to the end of my matriculation there. It was one of my last interviews, seemed like it's something that I can do, and, and off I went with the thought of, I'll do this till I figure out what I'm going to really do. And 25, 30 years later, I guess I'm still doing that. Fair enough. Fair enough. There are a lot of great executives from those Maytag programs, but you went from a Swedish appliance manufacturer, Electrolux, to a totally different company, a Korean multinational, namely Samsung, one of the top 10 in the world. What was, what was that like? It, it was um, a definite, no pun intended, culture shock. And, you know, the reason for me to, to uh, take the opportunity to go run Samsung's appliance business in the U.S. is I had had... 10, well, 14 years at Electrolux by that point. And I, you know, both in local and global roles. And so I'd already had the opportunity to work in global cultures and environments. And um, so I really thought, hey, I've, I've ticked this box. I know how to maneuver. And I was taking counsel from some folks and said, there's this opportunity to go run this appliance business in Samsung. And basically what, you know, the advice I was given is, you, were, you will likely not experience 
in your career something similar to that on such a high growth, well-funded, on-the-move global company. And so you should go take a stab at it. And so maybe, you know, long-winded way to answer your question, when, when I arrived at Samsung, having already thought, well, I've got the skill set to, na to navigate globally, and I'd even done in sourcing some, some deals where I'd been involved in the, in the Chinese culture, and it was more than I expected relative to just always on, go, 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 you know, how big is the biggest goal got to be, and then backing it up with a lot of, uh, you know, backing it up with a lot of ability to invest quickly in innovation and, and be on the move. So it was, it was quite a step for me, actually. It was, I, I can only imagine because in a few short years, they became the number one brand in the United States from almost nothing to number one. It, I think it took them maybe less than a decade. So yeah. you were part of that. That's pretty unbelievable. So then you become COO of Hire, yeah. Chinese-based company. Yeah. And it's there that you were involved in a very surprising last-minute merger deal between Hire and GE, certainly leaving um, certainly leaving an impression on your old company, Electrolux. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was just, if you think about the dynamics and you think about our marketplace here in North America, specifically the U.S., if you're going to be a global operator, you can't do it without being able to conquer the U.S. So in other words, you know, we'll take the higher group for an example. They had operated since the late 90s in the U.S. under their own brand factory in South Carolina. We're known mostly to be a supplier, though, for, you know, dorm size refrigerators and window air conditioners and, you know, service through Walmart, and Lowe's and some big box retailers, but had really never been able to break out under the higher label itself under the brand or even the scale that they would want from a higher group to diversify the higher portfolio. So if you think I joined, I joined higher in 2006, 15, 15, in 2015. And really the goal there was, and, and my boss at the time who was uh, uh, ex-Whirlpool was to really try to reinvigorate and make the higher brand relevant in the US. So think about a different product portfolio than the dorm refrigerators, et cetera. On the way to that dance though, in the backdrop was this drawn out Electrolux acquisition of, of uh, GE that had been, the DOJ had stepped into the middle of it uh, to, to sue to stop it under the premise that it could create in certain categories, some monopoly effect out there. So that's the backdrop. So everybody's going to, you know, being called down into Washington, D.C. to testify on one behalf or another. And ultimately, in the end, GE Corp pulled the, uh, they had a timeout clause in it in December of 2015. So they, they pulled the trigger on that to stop the deal, which essentially made GE Appliance open for bid again. And so there's a very fast run at it amongst several suitors. But versus the first time around, went to close very quickly. So deal in theory done by April. So think about, you know, December to April, running pretty hard with some new suitors and then closed uh, officially by June of 2016. So really fast. And, and, and the only thing that I would say is what my boss and I had advised Hire Group at that time as we were trying to do what we were tasked with on Hire America is their fastest way to scale would be via acquisition if it ever came open. 
and it doesn't come open very often in an industry like appliances in the US and GE certainly be iconic. So all those things lead to say like, run hard, run fast, this opportunity won't present itself again. How, how long in total months did it take you to close that deal? It was, the, the deal was agreed to in four months and closed officially in six. Can you close a condo that fast? I'm just wondering, that's a $5.2 million billion deal? Yeah, no. Unbelievable. Yeah. Now, most Americans have never heard of hire, or maybe other than the dorm fridges. Yet they've turned around, gee, it's safe to say five years later, G is in better health than ever. And Fisher Paykel, yeah. um, they've certainly turned them around even before then. They were in trouble with their, in, in their New Zealand base. Yet nobody's ever heard of them. I mean, no, even me, I've never, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone from higher corporate. What are they like? So, you know, what I, what the, the way that I would answer that question is the framework of what you asked earlier, like up, it's about culture, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, my answer earlier about having worked for an American company in Maytag and then worked for, you know, a Swedish and Northern European company, and then certainly going on to a Korean company and thinking about each of the unique attributes of those cultures that you would see presented in, you know, being a business partner to a lot of them. What I found to be interesting and unique about the higher group specifically is that they have more been a company and been better at acquisition, finding the right companies to acquire, and then just support the management in those companies, uh, viewing them as the experts in the market. So not so much as a holding company because they're certainly not hands-off, right? They're very involved, appliances in their business. They bring a lot of scale and capability from their, from their presence in China. But what, what I would say is it's just a great balance bet you know, between sort of that, you know, where you get the, the intensity to want to go and be bigger and have the wherewithal to be able to put their money where their mouth is, but yet let local market experts and management teams really unlock the potential in the market. So. I think it's a great balance of both. And what you alluded to in two examples is my colleagues at GE are enjoying great success with the, with the, under the ownership and, and the partnership with Hire. And then certainly Fisher and Paykel, same thing, is on a trajectory globally and locally that's, that's uh, really doing in, in big part to the way Hire Group manages. Yeah, GE's killing it. Yeah. So are you guys. Yeah. Let's get to Fisher Paykel. Yeah. A lot of people don't know the origin story of Fisher Paco. Yeah. You're going to tell it? Well, you mean besides the people in my neighborhood when they say, hey, I know you changed jobs. Who are you with? And I say Fisher Paco and they go, what's that? So, <laughs> but, yeah. and, and, you know, that's the that's the big thing that, you know, we have to, unlike our heritage in New Zealand, you know, where we are, we're a GE of New Zealand as far as name brand recognition, size and scale in that market. And, and even extending into Australia, same thing over there. It's just, you know, on our journey to be truly global, it's having to overcome what you just described, which is the lack of brand awareness. Very true. But the, how it got started. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you and it's I can a, probably co-tell the story, but. It's a great story, but I think you should tell. Yeah. But I mean, started as a company with a couple gentlemen wanting to import appliances into New Zealand. And, you know, most notably, as the world always becomes small, 
had access or were importing the Kelvinator brand, and at some point weren't able through allocation to get what they needed, both in terms of refrigeration itself and then as they extend to, uh, extended to other product categories, so took it upon themselves to figure out they could design, build, and do appliances. And that really set the stage for that sort of the spirit that we have, which is can do invented here in a good way, but sort of the willingness coming from our culture in New Zealand, like, hey, nobody's coming to save you on the island, so you better figure it out. Yeah, it's a great story. You can't get, you're importing American refrigerators that you now can't get. Yeah. Rather than most people would just give up or go into something else. Yeah. They get them, they start manufacturing their own fridges. That's just so. Yeah. So, so, so interesting. Yeah. Anyway, Fisher Bakel is known for their double drawer dishwasher. Yeah. How did that product originate? So the, uh, I guess would say contrasted with what many of the the backstories may exist out there and you and I talked about them all all the way and including to baby baby incubators we never believed it right it was really more an extension of what we just described on hey you can't get refrigeration under allocation build your own but if you extend that a step further in that that can do spirit and always look at what's the solution it was that heritage that we've developed over time in our engineering capability to just look at it and say, are we really solving all the pain points or the opportunities out there by taking what's been the standardized dishwasher platform forever and just tweaking that a little bit more? And maybe now I'm going to be a little facetious, but and we'll put a new handle on it. Or could we really look at some platforms that would start to address flexibility, and different opportunities and pain points in the home. And that's really what led to it and, and certainly has become one of our cornerstones of what we've been known for in our early journey. Yeah, at, now that I'm in my mid to late 50s, I, I appreciate the drawer even that much more. But anyway, let's talk about other appliances uh, that people might not know about that are that are unique and, and uh, probably not as unique as the double drawer, but you do have some really interesting other appliances. Yeah. Well, I, I and, and I'll bridge the gap with something as another example of if you as consumers go into the market now, they would notice in laundry, for example, platforms that say, hey, it used to be like when I grew up, Maytag, agitator, top load. My grandma on the farm did loads of laundry that way. Europe was developing over time because of water efficiency front load. What Fisher, what Fisher and Paykel, in addition to the dish drawer, came in in the market with, with was, hey, a top load washer that has no agitator. Like, so if you think about along the line, we were known for many years as in addition, in addition to the platform of the double dish drawer, being able to champion that. And then, of course, the, the big scale folks in the industry got onto that and said, hey, we think we can do it in that scale and it cost better. And so essentially it became something for us that wasn't a viable platform anymore. But with that mindset, now I'm going to forward all the way to what else do we have out there? You know, recently we've introduced things like a hybrid pro range. And so you take a balance of gas and induction where you're getting kind of the best of both worlds in a sense, if you're, if you're really, as many people are into cooking going, they like things about each, but Back to the double dish drawer, well, why wouldn't we put them together and offer that as an opportunity, for example? 
And then that's outside of products where as we spool up to become the global premium player that we are, and certainly in this marketplace, we've had to fill out the portfolio with column refrigeration, for example, and wine and, and broaden the portfolio in our built-in cooking. But what you'll see us do in each one of those, back to that solving the dish drawer uh, pain points or that mentality is things like our temperature management in our refrigeration, where we keep the temperature very, very close. You know, the variance is very, very low. So your food lasts longer, doesn't spoil as often. So it's powered behind even when we get into categories that we didn't invent. When we're laid into it, we're still thinking about it going, how could we be better at this? And so that's a lot of what you'll continue to see from us. Mm -hmm. You make unique products. And I love that half induction, half gas. I thought it was a, it was like a, an olive branch to California, which yeah. we'll have to do with eventually. But you make... You make unique products, but unique products require unique parts. They do. Given the nature of today's supply chain constraints, don't feel bad about just everybody. Yeah. How do you how do you keep these appliances available, or what's that like for you? You know, I, I I really I wish there were a magic answer out there, and there's not because there's so many variables that, as you know, Steve, are affecting the supply chain right now. And what I would say. What I, I will give credit to our global team, uh, Fisher and Paykel team in New Zealand, is just the back to the mentality of, hey, you can't get Calvinator refrigerators, so you don't throw up your hands, you figure out a way to go do it. And it, it really, like I said, I wish there were a magic uh, pill that we've inserted in that, but it's really been just the diligence of never say no from our supply chain folks to figure out how to requalify parts when we've had to and go a different direction. And sometimes quite honestly, just go pay way above what market value is, even though it seems obscene because we don't want through folks like Yale to disappoint a customer on the other side. So there's a part of that where we're playing the long game as well going, okay, we'll, we'll do what we have to do for now because we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you, the question is, do a lot of the manufacturers start making some of the parts in the supply chain they used to outsource? Oh, I, I definitely think, and, and, and back to publicly, I'm pretty sure, you know, my colleagues down at GE have talked about repatriating supply chains and, and outside of the appliance industry, a lot of folks saying, hey, we got ourselves really extended and, and re-looking at it now. I, I think we'll find in our industry and, and more industries a healthy balance or put a different way, you know, those that don't find the healthy, healthy balance will be less competitive for future years. Yeah. Well, just in time at a nice 30 year run. But when do you see a return to normalcy? I mean, when can you say buy a dishwasher and then get it like in a normal within a week time frame? For me, it's it's well into 2023, 2024. I mean, I just I don't see any of the economic indicators and then behind the scenes sort of the conversations that, you know, the public wouldn't hear about that are deeply going on with, you know, the, the folks involved in supply chain. So to me, just you triangulate all those things between pure demand on one side and, and the ability to supply on the other side. I, I think we're in it for a while. And, and so it's going to be a it's going to be a slugfest. And again, from true uh, being able to satisfy consumers needs, it's, you know, it pains us all to, to be in that position that to not, hey, my thing's broken down and how many stories have you seen of like, I'm without something to cool and I'll take anything. And the answer is still like, can't get you something for a while. And 
those kinds of things. You know, that that's on the real demand and the necessities of keeping your food cold, for example. And then the on the on the other side of folks that are in the middle of like, I'm spending more time in my home, future of work, the way that it looks, entertaining more. I'd really like to spruce it up around here, but either because of availability or the cost of materials, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do it right now. So it's going to be an interesting multi-year journey is what I'm saying. And exploding demand and faltering supply. Yeah. So are there any other unique, I mean, what's your R&D look like for future products when you, we can't get out of the morass of today? So what, what, what I'm really encouraged about, and you know, when I took this role at Fisher and Paykel, I had had the opportunity when I was already in the hire group to see both the capability of Fisher and Paykel in, in its R&D engine uh, that we've discussed earlier and its heritage. But it's not only that, and then the layer that you've discussed on the hire group of the willingness to invest in a multi-year generational plan of new stuff coming down the road. Now, that new stuff coming down the road, some will be things that are just improvements. I mean, more than a, you know, a glorified improvement on a door handle, for example, but real improvements inside existing platforms. And then I'm excited about the stuff that we're thinking about. How do we close the gap in visions, sort of the... I may date myself, you know, the Jetsons era out there like, gee whiz, you know, George Jetson can do this. There have been visions within home care that have existed forever, but technology or the cost of technology is only now catching up with what those things are. And so that really becomes a back to about really solving true human pain points in their kitchen, in their lifestyles that I think we've got a lot of runway for reinventing how folks operate inside their kitchens and their homes to come. And and we as Fisher and Pykel, because of that R&D background, uh, will be fully into it and or leading the way in many cases. And you've got um, the Smart HQ guys backing you up from yeah. GE as well. Yeah, absolutely. Are there, any, are there any unique products you can share in development? Anything interesting? You know, I, th I think the the big things that we'll see coming, maybe if not unique, is and what we haven't talked about as much. And under the umbrella of Fisher and Pico, we also have the DCS brand outdoor. And DCS, you know, for those that wouldn't know, was really the originator of that pro style cooking inside and the pro style cooking outside. And then what I'd say, say to fairly critique ourselves is then we kind of went dormant, and there are a lot of other big name brands in the outdoor and indoor and pro cooking that spooled up and stole our thunder. And so we're here to reclaim it. And so we're looking at, again, improvements on current platforms, but how do we think about, you know, when you get into the outdoor, for example, all the manifestations of smoking and, you know, uh, outdoor uh, ovens and, and just all the things that are continuing to proliferate, you know, we'll be into the middle of that and trying to take sort of a, where can we apply technology where it makes sense? for example. And then I think certainly for the future without disclosing too much is, you know, just that broader range of complete food care management and connectivity uh, inside, you know, inside the kitchen. So a lot of things coming there. And, and, and then lastly, like you, like you'd say, the, the power of the higher group is we're mixing up on a global and local scale with folks like GE here in the North American market. You know, we've got We've got some entities that that up in Japan, for example, that are really high R&D. We've got a company that's been acquired called Candy in Europe that we're all best practice sharing and bringing together where we think this could roll to in the future. So lots of good stuff coming.
That's good. Um, I think outdoor kitchens are a great place. If we're selling them here in Boston and we're not known for our warm weather, then then I think that's a good opportunity for you. Well, I just, anyway, so sorry uh, to interrupt on that, but on outdoor kitchen, what I've watched, you know, so I physically live in New Jersey, so down the road from you all a little ways, but you know, I've just watched how people have migrated and really that consideration of we are entertaining more at home because of COVID, but even whatever COVID evolves to and as we free up again, have become used to that social aspect of it and what's possible or the dream state. So I, again, I think there's so much opportunity coming for in cold weather states as well for what what do they do for extensions of the inside and the outside and entertaining and a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, that 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 part of of our industry has blown up over the last certainly over the last two with covid but over the last five it's been unbelievable so i want to thank you for being here congratulations on everything i mean that's a hell of a resume and we appreciate you taking the time to do this yeah no i appreciate you having me on and uh look forward to good days ahead steve <laughs> we hope so <laughs> all right now that you've heard from kevin and learned about the Jetson-like future of Fisher Paykel. Let's stop at one of our showrooms to see these products in action. We asked one of our salespeople to give us a tour with a more in-depth explanation of the appliances mentioned in this video. So with Fisher Paykel, you know, they offer again a full array of products. Here you see the professional range that they have and some unique things that they do with the range in addition to really having nice controls that you can see in really nice large readout displays and digital displays here. In addition, they're really one of the most unique ones on the top as well. What you find here is you can have a range with four gas burners and then two induction bridge burners as well on a 48 inch range. Again, that's something that you see really with a lot of different brands, but something that you are able to do with Fisher Paco and really make it more unique and customized to really what you want out of your range. So at Yale, we've been selling Fisher Paco refrigeration for years and years. And a lot of times they've been known for really fitting some of the niche sizes like 32 inch counter depths and things like that where, especially in the Boston market, you have a lot of homes that need smaller appliances. But they've really done a nice job over the past couple of years of introducing some really larger professional built-in refrigeration. And what you see here is their columns. So everything from a really beautiful wine column to refrigeration columns with nice control ability in the middle, full stainless steel interior, and again, really giving you that nice option to have not only freestanding refrigeration with Fisher Paykel, but when you're stepping up into that built-in professional style, they absolutely don't miss a beat there and really have a lot to offer as well as some of the other brands. So one of the things Fisher Paykel is really best known for is their dish drawers. So again, very unique in the market and they're really the only ones who make something like this. What you see here is a single dishwasher, but two separate drawers, which allows you to do, especially if you're entertaining, you can do multiple loads at once. One finishes, you're still able to, to work with the other one. In addition, they come in different styles. What you'll see here is one tall drawer and a, a smaller bottom drawer. And you could also get these as two even sized drawers. So again, really unique and really the only people on the market that make any sort of dish drawers. Um, again, the only ones out there, so very unique. That's it for today's episode. Next week, we'll be interviewing Jim Bakke, owner and CEO of Sub-Zero Wolf & Co. Jim's an interesting guy and has been a leader in luxury appliances for over 30 years. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, if you like what you've learned, don't forget to like and subscribe for more information about appliances, home renovation tips and trends. See you next time.